This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. College football crowns a similar champion in the Alabama Crimson Tide, and we cover the season in review from a prospect's perspective on this episode of Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. As always, you can follow Prospects 101 on social media at Prospects 101 pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, it's also brought to you by our great partners, Blue Wire Pod and Bet Online. Two man show. Pastel is still uh, unavailable to join us currently. Again, as we get closer to draft time, might be able to get him on for a time or two. So, two man show joined by uh, the my co host, Kenny Keller. What's up, man? What's up, dude? Man, what a. Uh... What a what a blowout last night. Yeah, I mean, I say we just jump right into it. I mean, it's really the only top news we got. Uh, you know, last night, you know, college football fan, obviously you, you tuned in to, to watch Bama just high step to a national championship. I, I was, I got to say, I was a little surprised. Um, I guess I overrated Ohio State on defense. I thought that they, I thought that they were better on defense than maybe that, than they showed. Um I but thought it's they just ran, it's ran a bland script on defense. I mean, they just never did anything. They never did anything worth a like worth a salt. They just kind of just played almost like like almost I don't know what cover three like half the game and just let them do whatever they wanted. Yeah, they played a lot of single high coverage. That's because Alabama. Um, also, for those listening out there, if you don't watch the coaches' coverage. Of a of a football game or a championship game or a, a, any of these games, and you tune in to listen to like Kirk Herbstreit talk, I, I don't know what you're doing because the coaches stuff with Dave Clawson and Gene Chizik, oh, um, who else was, was on the broadcast last uh, night? Sa- Sam Washington and Hugh Freeze. And Hugh Freeze, they were fantastic last night, and it's an awesome way to watch a game. And the one thing, and again, if you watched Alabama all year, Kenny. Look, at literally every play is an RPO, right? And when if you're running an RPO, you have to play a lot of man coverage. I mean, you got to play with a single high safety because you just you you got to be able to guard these guys if the ball is going to be you know going to be pulled. I thought what was interesting is that Najee Harris didn't get a lot of carries, but he didn't get a lot of carries because Ohio State was stacking the box. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, they had six, sometimes seven guys. That would have been Mac Jones's read guy, and that's why Mac Jones is pulling the ball all night and throwing it out to Devontae Smith. So um, I was, you know, honestly, I mean, to, to defend Alabama is very, very difficult, and to be able to do what they do on offense with the talent that they have, it's <laughs> it's pretty spectacular. Um, I was I, I I was very underwhelmed by Ohio State on offense. 
I thought that they'd be able to keep up a little more than they did. They got they kept up for about a quarter and a half, and that was about it. Um, well, the pro- the problem was, and really facing that, that has everybody has faced with Bama all years. If Bama stops you two or three times on defense, the route is pretty much on. I mean, you become extremely one dimensional in offense. Uh, plus, also Ohio State lost Trey Sermon in like what the second play of the game. Second play of the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, which was really tough. I mean, Master Teague's a good running back, but Trey Sermon was kind of playing on another level coming into the game. Um, so they lost him early. But it's just like everybody else who's played Alabama minus Florida this year. It is They stop you once, twice, three times on, on, on defense, Alabama does, and now you're just you're, you're hucking and chucking it the rest of the game because yeah. Bama's up 21 points. So, I mean, you just become extremely one-dimensional and – I mean, once you do that, you know, Alabama just pent their ears back and sent Christian Barmore right the gut every time to get after uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, Justin Fields. And then you had, you know, the unfortunate injury. White Davis got hurt as well and never yeah, came back. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, I mean, that was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, just, just some unfortunate injuries. But, I, you know, I don't, think, I don't think I was really surprised by this. My prediction on our group chat was 51-31, and it ended up being 52-24. Um, I just thought – you know, Ohio State's weaknesses did not match up well with Alabama's strengths. Alabama's strengths is passing – I mean, really doing anything they want to on offense. But that receiving core is absolutely disgusting, and Ohio State's secondary is not great. And it just showed yesterday. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, going back to the offensive side of the ball, I, you're right. I mean, you have to be able to stop them – two to three times to even have a chance to keep up offensively. And if Ohio State had a shot, they had to stay with them point for point. I actually thought early on Ohio State, although they were giving up chunks of yards, they were also forcing Alabama to convert a lot of third downs, convert a lot of fourth downs, and really taking a lot of time off the clock. So I thought from the first quarter and a half, I was like, I mean, look, Alabama's going to get their points. There's no doubt about it. But if you can make them work and make them chime a bunch of clock off, you're going to be all right. You're going to be into it. You're going to be in the game, you know, midway through the third and, and into the fourth. And just unfortunately, you know, Devontae Smith goes off. Um, Mac Jones goes off. You know, it's just it, – it doesn't really matter who Alabama gives the ball to on offense. They're just better than yeah. who they're playing, right? And, and look – I know I, I, I've jocked them a lot on the show, but I'll continue to jock them. Um, the offense and schematics-wise, what they do at Alabama, in my opinion, is just as good as what they do at Oklahoma. And it may be the best-designed offense in the country because yeah. these guys are so wide open all the time. And that's why I think – I think that's what makes Mac Jones such a hard prospect to, to grade because the guys that he's hitting now <laughs> – Hey, you're just hitting dudes that are so wide open, right? Butt naked open guys. Like butt naked open. Now I'll give Mac I'll give Mac a lot of credit. He throws the ball like a baseball player, which for an RPO offense, that's exactly what you want. You want the ball in and out of your hands super quick. He makes fantastic decisions and he's incredibly accurate. So, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but you know, when I think of teams that need a quarterback in the future, the team that I think Mac Jones is just destined to, to play for us, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think that is a match made in heaven. And so 
look, I, I give Alabama all the credit in the world. They got the best players. They got the best offense. They got the best offensive line. They had the best skill players. Their defense was good enough. I actually, you know, I said this in our text message string last night. I know they don't have a lot of the traditional Alabama powers on defense that you would that you would associate. But I tell you what, they play really good team defense. They have good team speed. They all run to the ball. They keep everything in front. They rarely give up a lot of big plays. And some of those plays last night were just frankly mismatches that the touchdowns yeah. that they did give up. But I, I think Alabama, the way they progressed as the season went on on defense, showed me that you know that that's just a really well coached defense, right? They yeah. got their five stars out there, no doubt. But man, I was really impressed at how they ended the year on defense. I thought they did a heck of a job. So um, you know, kudos to Bama. I don't think it's a surprise. Um, again. Texas just – Kenny, Texas had to have been salivating at the mouth last night watching – I was going to say the, se- the second happiest fans in college football right now are University of Texas fans. You've got Alabama fans are number one, and then University of Texas fans are number two because they saw what Sark – anybody – if any Texas – well, I, I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek. If any Texas fan was watching the coaches' film last night, the coaches' room that you and I were watching, they had to have been salivating over Sark's offense. But that's another thing. There wasn't a lot of people watching that game last night, so I don't know if a lot of Texas fans were actually watching the game because it received the lowest rating we've seen in, what, since 2004? I, think I, they I said was going to ask that, do you want to sh- share that info on the pod? Yeah, I mean, it was. It came out today that the this national championship game was the lowest-watched national championship game since Oklahoma-USC, uh, which I believe was either 2004 – it was 2004 because 2005 was Texas-USC. Uh, so yeah, it's 2004. Just an absolute show. But Leo, let's let's table that, Gless, because I think that'll that'll work perfect toward kind of what we're going to wrap up with. Yeah, so no, I agree. But, I just, but that, that, yeah, the second happiest college fans today definitely Texas fans because they yeah, for sure, what their new coach sure. is going to be like. For sure. The, the only other thing that I will and Kenny chime in here and and you know after I'm done, you can you know any other kind of thoughts that come off. I just. I tell you what, they had 11 days, sorry, 10 days to prepare for Devontae Smith, and all he does is just go out and put on the, <laughs> that performance. I mean, I mean, it, it was almost mic drop worthy. I, what's always interesting about the Heisman is sometimes you get in the Heisman, you know, sometimes you name a Heisman Trophy winner, and then they get into a bowl game or a national championship game, and they just, like, totally, like, fart the bed. But like, egg, he just yeah. went out to totally lay an egg. I mean, if there, you were talking about leaving no doubt who the best player in the country is. I mean, not even close. I mean, just run. And it was the first play he had the ball in his hands. He took a crossing route and he hit the corner, outran two Ohio State guys, and then got tackled by the third guy on his heel for like 15 yards. And then I just remember looking at who I was watching. I was watching the game with a buddy. And I was like, they have no idea what kind of speed they're in for tonight. Like, this is dude, this guy is something completely different well, than what they've seen. Dude, he won the MVP of the national championship in one half. That's all he played. Because remember, he got hurt like the second play of the second half. Like he was on pace to break the single game receiving record in the national championship game. I mean, it's absolutely an incredible performance by Devonta Smith. And again, he put up tw- I think twelve catches. 214 yards and what, three touchdowns in one half yeah. in a national 
championship game. Like, it's unbelievable. I, I, and I tell you what, I hope he is awarded financially when he goes in the draft because I'm seeing a lot of garbage drafts where he's falling in the 20s, oh, so like the dude. late teens and 20s. That is That's absolutely so hot trash. Like, unbelievable how so you couldn't ridiculous. take that kid. It's completely ridiculous. But we'll get into that probably the end of the show. But Hey, everyone. Pastel here. Before we get started in today's pod, I just want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, question and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program, it is limited, so get your application today. To apply, go to Blue, Blue Wire Hustle, so that's bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description in the box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Uh, for you guys, we wanted to do something kind of unique today. Obviously, college football is done. We can't really nothing to recap but that one game. But, you know, if you guys have been listening to the pod, you know how dedicated we are to watching pro- prospects across all levels, right, high school and college mainly, but we wanted to give out our season awards, and our season awards, you know, we picked about nine or ten different categories, and this is all from the prospects perspective, right, most improved, best offense, best defense, who really had not only a great season, but who's really elevated themselves in the eyes of scouts, and and what we think is going to happen here in the in the March and April time frame, so kind of a cool way to end the season, a lot of college football talks still, but I think it, it, it's a fun way to kind of reflect on what we saw. And and I'm not going to talk for Kenny, but I'll talk for myself. As as much as I was glad to have a college football season, I'm kind of ready to get into draft mode now. Um, you know, it's, it's a long year, man. It was a long year, a lot of cancellations. It was it was odd. It was breaking news every – seemed like every other day. And the one thing that I saw, Kennedy, last night on the faces of Hugh Freeze, David Clawson, and I'm not going to count Sam Washington because they're playing in the spring. I saw a lot of um, I saw a lot of relief. Yeah, right? I saw of like, thank God this season's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were going through like what they had to do to get their guys ready for each game, and I think I texted you. I texted you. I was like, dude, are you listening to this? Like. Just everything that they had to do to to actually, and we got a little insight on what had to be done anyway when we interviewed Will Healy earlier in the season on the show. Um, but just to hear it again and hear like it from a, a postseason perspective on what like Clawson was talking about, like you know parents and traveling and traveling with the kids and just everything that had to go into the season. It's just yeah, I dude, as fatigued as I am from the season. I can only imagine how fatigued coaches and players are. That's why, like, when when all those guys were knocking, like, like I, I get everybody has an opinion on, on kids opting out of bowl season and whatever, 
But like, I kind of had no issues with it this year because it, it really hit home. And I, I forget who it was, but somebody opted out, or a, or a bunch, or a team opted out of a, of a lower tier bowl, not of a high tier bowl, but of a lower tier bowl. And and basically, the head coach was like, "Oh, it was uh, Boston College." Jeff Halfley was like, look, the kids voted. They want to go home for Christmas. Yeah. They haven't seen their parents or spent time with their family since August. Like, they're not allowed to. Like, he's like, they don't, they don't want to go play in the Meineke Car Care Bowl. They want to go home. And that's when it kind of hit me. I was like, you know what? I was like, I, I'm I'm not going to have an issue with kids or, or teams opting out of, like, these no-name bowls this yeah. year because they, they just want to go home. They would have been, and they want to go home for Christmas. They want to be home with yeah. – because if not, if their game was after Christmas, they would have had to wait till after Christmas to go home. So, like, I yeah. I get it. Yeah, I, I agree 100% on that. These kids were put in such an impossible spot, and my hat's off to all the coaches, the team doctors, the athletic directors, the and but mostly the kids, man, to be able to literally every day probably do something different just because of a you know an announcement. You imagine traveling to a game and then you get there like the Florida State Clemson game and then it's canceled, right? Like yeah. the day of. Like I just would be so salty. Kimmy, let's get into our season awards. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh first one, the most improved prospect uh that happened in twenty twenty during this college football season. For me it was Jalen Phillips. This was a guy who you know, had a lot of hype coming into college. He was the number one recruit in 2017. He played as a true freshman at UCLA, started six games, uh, and just never really got going with UCLA. Spent two seasons there in 2017 and 2018. He transferred out of UCLA to Miami, sat out 2019, and obviously played this season for Miami. And, man, just what an absolute great move that turned out to be. The guy had, in 10 games, had 15 and a half tackles for losses. Eight sacks, one interception, uh, a bunch of passes defended, so a bunch of tip passes at the line. I mean, just was an overall beast. This is a guy who, before this season, you know, he, he, I don't even know if he was on a lot of draft radars. Yeah, he had the size and the skill set on paper. He's 6'5", 265, you know, on paper has all the measurables in the in the – in the stats that you want to see from a guy like that, but he just had yet to put it together on the field. And then this year just absolutely dominated ACC competition. Honestly, he's probably the best defensive end in all of college football statistically this season, or one of them anyway, outside of maybe the Pittsburgh uh, ends, Weaver and uh, Ford, I think is his name. But other than that, or Jones, sorry, Weaver and Jones. But other than that, I mean, he dominated this position and really showed why this guy's been such a high potential, high ceiling prospect since he's walked onto the college football field. And look, he's going to earn himself a first round pick. That's he, I, because I, I, I can't imagine he's going to have a bad pro day or a bad combine because athletically he's already a freak. And now that he's got the the stats to go with it. I think the sky's the limit for the guy, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up a top 15, top 20 pick. Yeah, edge rushers are certainly a premium in this draft. There's no doubt. There's a, a crop of about one, two, maybe a third one. And then it's there's a lot of other guys, but I, I think that I would classify them as kind of tier two. Well, I'm going to go with Zach Wilson here. I thought that his season was unbelievably outstanding. I thought that he was maybe a day two pick, more than likely a day three pick, probably before the season. He has now completely catapulted himself into uh, almost a for certain day one pick, probably a top ten pick. 
I, I think the way that he handles himself, the size, the speed, the arm, his arm is extremely impressive. Um, but his accuracy and his ability to get the ball, get rid of the ball quick, love his leadership skills. There's really not a whole lot that I don't like about this kid. Um, I think mm-hmm. prototypically, I think he's going to be everything that a franchise is going to look forward to as far as a guy that can get in there and lead a franchise. I think he's going to add a little bit of swag, which I like as well. Uh, but again, he had an outstanding season, right? And, and I understand BYU is an independent, and who they play may not be an SEC schedule. When I look at Zach Wilson, I see that those skills translate. I think he plays the game extremely fast, and I think he showed that. Um, so I'm going to go with Zach Wilson here. I, I I really like what he brought this season. That's a, that's a great that's a great um, it's a great pick, Gless. I know that was a very close second for me with Zach Wilson, but I, I just was really impressed with what Jalen Phillips did. But that's it's I think. I think you and I probably got the top two right there. Yeah, sure. for sure. Well, let's go into best offensive prospect. Kenny, I see you got on here. It's probably no uh, no surprise, especially since your team is holding the uh, the number one pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, my Jags going to get Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, who is uh, – I, I think he's the best overall prospect. I mean, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time. I don't think – I'm pretty sure everybody already knows the legend and the lore of Trevor Lawrence, but he's pretty much been the baddest dude in college football since he stepped on the – on the field, won a uh, won a national championship as a true freshman quarterback. You know, just just absolutely incredible. Six six, two hundred twenty pounds. He can make any throw on the field. He's extremely mobile. He's a gamer. This is a guy last year against Ohio State. They were trailing early, trailing quick. You know, he got banged up. He got popped in the mouth. And his quote at the end of the game was, "That finally woke me up to to start their comeback." You know, this is a guy who has faced adversity, who's overcome it. Uh, in his college career, he's just done everything you could do minus win a Heisman Trophy. I just, I, I like I said, I, I know it's low hanging fruit, but Trevor Lawrence, quarterback at a Clemson, my best overall prospect. Yeah, prospect. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you took Trevor. I mean, I think anybody would pick Trevor Lawrence, but I want to go a little bit different here. I want Penny Sewell, left tackle mm-hmm. out of Oregon. Now, um, I think that there's a few guys, and and when I mean few, I mean like three who opted out that I think aren't going to lose any draft stock, and I, I think Sewell is one of them because I think Sewell is generational. I think he has the mean streak. Um, he has the mean streak of kind of your traditional downhill running, down-blocking left tackle, but he's extremely athletic, uh, can can reach guys. He can hang with the best of them, incredible in pass-blocking uh, pass situations. There's a lot of film of him releasing on screens and getting on safeties and corners and just demolishing him. I think this guy is the complete package. Mm-hmm. I personally would have liked to seen him play this year, but figuring that Oregon only played, you know, a handful of games, I get why, he, you know, I get in his situation potentially why he would have wanted to opt out. But look, no doubt about it. You pick Sewell, he's going to be that anchor, your the left side of your offensive line for the next 10 to 12 years, right? And when you talk about offensive value, that's incredible offensive value, and especially where he might go. And and I don't know where he's going to go. Could go to Miami at three, could go to Cincinnati at five. Both, I think, are really great spots for him, and he's really going to anchor those lines for a decade, right, a decade yep. and more. And he can just do it all, and, and I think his skill set ages well as well. And he'll learn. He's a smart kid. Um yeah, I mean, really, nothing more I can say about Penny Sewell, you know, from the the film that I'd watched in the off season. So, yeah. 
What about the best defensive prospect, Kenny? Who do you got? So you brought it up, Gless. You talked about there's a couple guys who opted out that you don't think their draft stock is going to be hurt. Uh, and I, so for my defensive prospect, I think this is a guy who falls under that category, and that's Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. And you hear a lot of people talk about – you and I actually talked about this offline a couple of days ago. You hear a lot of people compare him to Isaiah Simmons because they're both kind of freak athletes. They're both these bigger guys who shouldn't be that athletic. They play kind of all over the field. They can play different positions on defense and they excel. But honestly, I think that's a very lazy comparison because they're not the same. So when you hear Micah Parsons and you hear somebody say, oh, he's Isaiah Simmons, that is false in my opinion. I think Micah Parsons is a much different prospect. Micah Parsons used to be a running back in high school, and then he turned it into – then Penn State turned him into a linebacker. He's a very, very natural, instinctual, athletically gifted linebacker that I've – one of the best I've ever seen athletically. Like, he reminds me you, he, a lot of Patrick Willis. He's a, he's a faster, more athletic, just as physical Patrick Willis in my mind. Anybody who hasn't watched highlights – of him just absolutely taking over the Cotton Bowl last year, 2019, go do it right now. Like, pause this episode, go YouTube, Cotton Bowl 2019 highlights, and watch Mar- Micah Parsons just absolutely dominate. I think he can get after the quarterback when he needs to. I think he can play sideline to sideline. I think if there's any holes in his game, I don't think he's an elite cover guy by any means, but I think he's a guy who can him up a tight end, who's athletic, he understands, what the offense is trying to do by being a former running back. He knows the keys. He knows the progressions of an offense. I think that helps him a lot as a linebacker. I just think he's a very elite athlete who has the, who has the, I I guess you should say the statistics, the statistics that go along with them as well. Like not only is he elite, but athletically, but the, he doesn't. He also stuffs the stat sheet. It's a win-win. I, to me, I think he's the best defensive prospect. I think he will translate very well to the NFL. And again, my comparison on him is Patrick Willis, but more athletic. Yeah, I, I love the comparison uh, to Patrick Willis because I think that's spot on. The only reason I didn't put him as my defensive prospect was just I'm so torn about the inside. Uh, you know, the linebacker position at the NFL level. So we talk about a prospect, and I think about the best defensive prospect. I'm also thinking about the impact of the position as well. Trust me, I love the Parsons kid. Definitely worth top 10 pick. Again, I think he's one of the two kids that I was okay with sitting out, right? These guys are can't miss. He's a freak. Um, To your point, that Cotton Bowl is just a (laughs) – I mean, it's something out of this world. It's it's, it's it's something out of this world. Um, I but I love the Patrick Willis thing. I, I think that's a perfect comp for him. Um, and look, if you're drafting inside the top ten and you can get you can get Patrick Willis, depending on your scheme, um, it might be worth it. But I, again, I, I just that's just my personal opinion about the inside backer spot at this point. But I went Patrick Sertan, uh, Patrick Sertan the second. I went there, shut down, long, lengthy. Cover corner, you can match him up with the best the other team's got. He's going to play really well. Interesting stat, Kenny. You know how many penalties he had? On, you know how many penalties he had on himself this year? Mm, I'm going to go. Nada. Wow. Nothing. I was going to say nothing. Three. Not one wow. penalty was thrown on Patrick Sertan the second. He can tackle. He can run. He can play man. Played a lot of man coverage. Alabama. He's long. He's athletic. 
I think there's a lot to like about this kid. It's 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 another Alabama guy they'll put in the league on defense that'll be really, really good, especially in the secondary. I think he's a guy that can go in day one and make an instant Pro Bowl level impact because he's going to be put on an island so much, right? Like I think he's they that whoever takes him, they're going to match him up against best on best. He's a man cover guy and he has the length to to make up for you know if he would get beat on a player too. So I like I like Patrick Sertan the second. Also, just another thing, this draft if you if you take or let's just talk prospects in general. We're not talking about the draft. Talk about prospects. Okay, I don't know if you agree with me here, but if if you rank the best players, top fifty best players, right? Regardless yeah. of position, just rank the top fifty in in order. Your opinion? There are not a lot of defensive guys in the top fifteen. No, no, no not, not a lot of top level, top tier defensive talent. If yeah, the, if you need offense, this is the draft to the to you. If you. If you ever want to pick a year where you need new, fresh offensive talent, this is the draft you want to be picking in. Definitely. No doubt about it. So, uh, Kenny, what about the best single-game performance you saw here in the 2020 season? So I was watching this game actually at the gym, and I was in Charleston with Pastel. I was working out down there. And to me, I, I, I was watching this game and just in awe of what this guy was doing to Kent State. And that's running back – Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo. This game, he had eight touchdowns, 409 yards rushing on 36 attempts. By the way, this is this is the next game after he just had 300 yards rushing and four touchdowns. I mean, just an absolute beast Jarrett Patterson was. He, right there, showed me why he's one of the top running backs in this class. And you hear a lot of chatter that because he's only 5'9", 200 pounds, that they think he's going to be a day three pick. Dude, I, I think it is the height of stupidity to write this kid off. And I, you know me, I'm not a huge proponent of drafting running backs, especially drafting running backs high. I think there's value to be had at a later round. This kid's going to go in the fourth or fifth round and absolutely be a steal. He is MJD reincarnated. And I've seen a lot of Maurice Jones-Drew play. You, that, you, that you, you have. You mentioned it earlier. I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I'm telling you, I've yet to see a running back play like he does until I watched Jarrett Patterson this year. And, and, and he just capped it off, like I said, with a 409-yard rushing performance and eight, eight touchdowns. Absolutely dominated. Dominating. Love that one. Uh I, <laughs> So I had one, but I thought it was kind of a cop-out, and then the more we've been talking, the more I remember. I was actually trying to remember, like, really outstanding single-game performances. And so the easy answer would have been Mac Jones and Devontae Smith last night in the national championship game when I had, but I literally pulled an audible in the last 15 seconds. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go, in my opinion, the best bowl – well, probably the second best bowl game. The first bowl game was probably Georgia-Cincinnati. The second one would have been Coastal Carolina and Liberty – and Grayson McCall against Liberty in that bowl game was some of the gutsiest, most fun football ever, which I actually felt like I was watching Taylor Heineke, right? And and that's what it kind of <laughs> reminded me. It reminded me of this this skinny kid out there balling out, making big throw after big throw, getting knocked around, having to go off the field, get on the field. 
And you could just see how much that energized his entire team, sitting there just dragging around the field, just making big plays. And unfortunately, they didn't get the ball last, or I think they should have won that game. Um, so I'm going to take Grayson McCall versus Liberty in that bowl game. That was, again, if it wasn't for the Cincinnati-Georgia game, in my opinion, that was the bowl game to watch, and, and it certainly didn't disappoint. So uh, I, I'm excited to watch three more years of Grayson McCall, though, man. Oh, dude, I, I mean, obviously everybody I think who listens to this show knows we're very high on Coastal Carolina, and they're, they're you know, kind of uh, an adopted team for all of us, man. He, he's a beast, dude. He's a freshman this year. Like, people forget that. This guy was a yeah. freshman, and he was not he was not the starter in spring, even though there was a very I, – I don't even know if they had a spring practice uh, in Coastal. If they did, it was very, very few. Um, but he wasn't even the starter come springtime. Like, he won the job in fall camp. Like, it's just an incredible rise for Grayson McCall. All right, Kenny, let's talk about the most under-the-radar prospect that no one's talking about based on their 2020 season. So I, I, I wanted to put Jarrett Patterson here, but I felt like you, like, like you talked about just a minute ago, I felt like it was a cop-out to give him the best single-game performance, sing his praises, and then turn around and get, call him the most underrated, under-the-radar prospect. But a guy who I would say is 1B for me is Talanoa Hufanga, safety mm. at a USC. 6'1", 215 pounds, Gless. The more film of this guy I watch, I love him. He's not going to be a first-round pick, and he's probably not going to be a second-round pick. He can maybe, I think, find his way into the third. The problem is I don't think he's going to run like a fast enough 40. I think he's going to have a slower 40 because if there's any weakness in his game, it's top-end speed. I could see him going out there running like a 4.58, maybe like a 4.61, 4.62 type of six. Uh, 40 time. So I think that's going to hurt him in, in scouts eyes in terms of athleticism, but the instincts and the way this guy plays the game is second to none. I mean, look in six games, he had four interceptions, five and a half tackles for losses, three sacks, uh, uh, two forced fumbles. I mean, this guy was a wrecking machine at USC and a big reason why USC you know, played pretty well this season. You know, obviously Keaton Slovis and those receivers get a lot, a lot of love. But that defense, which for the most part wasn't extremely great, but this guy was a big reason why why they were able to to contain a lot of these high flying Pac-12 offenses. I, like I said, the more and more I watch, he he does. You know, what he does really well. Gless, he navigates that dirty water running downhill from the safety position so well, like that. Like that, like the, the all the garbage and the trash uh, of the lines colliding and linebackers trying to shed blocks. He gets in there and just mows down running backs coming through the wash. It is absolutely incredible to watch. But he's also very good and very smart with his technique and how he plays in the secondary. Like I said, he's not very fast, but there's very few times I saw him lose a foot race or or just get just get absolutely burnt. Like, he does a good – he makes up his lack of speed with his technique. That's a great one because I love the kid too, and he may just be a, a tad bit slow to be a guy that gets taken in the first three rounds. And we, and we know and, – and, and, right? and we, we also know this about safeties, right? Like, safeties just don't – safeties are kind of like inside backers, right? They just don't get picked a whole lot, and, and there's not – you know, at, at least in the front part of the round. Probably a great special team guy, though. 
right? Guys probably going to shine yeah. on special teams and probably play a role in nickel and dime packages. So, no, I like that one a lot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. So I have I have one, but I do have an honorable mention because I think it I think he's worth mentioning. Um, but <clears throat> the first guy, this one's going to be interesting because I think he's going to perform really well in a combine setting, and that's Aziz Ojolari. Uh, the edge rusher from Georgia. This guy had an outstanding season, nine and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. If you watch his film and if you watch um, just kind of you know, even some of his highlights film, what, what comes off is his unbelievable athleticism and just what a for, for how physically big he is, right? I mean, this guy is an absolute freak of nature. I think if he has a year of eligibility left, this guy could come back potentially and be the best edge rusher in college football. I really do feel that. He needs to work on being a little bit more consistent. But if you're if you're talking about body size and if you're talking about speed and if you're talk and if you look at at his film, I mean you're blown away at at this guy. I mean he's just unbelievable and really could be that really next great Georgia defensive player in the NFL. And the other guy I'll put out here's Aleem, uh, Aleem McNeil, uh, the de- down as a defensive tackle, but he's basically a zero technique. And mm, for those okay. who don't know what that is out there, it's just a guy plays, you know, it's an odd front and he plays over the center. He's one of these really weird hybrid guys. It's almost like a unicorn, right? He's a true zero technique. Who's outstanding at rushing the passer. His 2019 stats-wise was a lot better than what he had, but PFF had him extremely highly graded, right? Like one of the best interior defense alignment you can pick, and really no one's talking about him. So he had a really great year, North Carolina State. I watched some film of him before the show. He's a complete disruptor as well. Um, so I, I really like this kid, man, for sure. Um, and that, as far as like an NFL comp. Uh, Jay, or is there, uh, is there is there anybody in like or even it doesn't have to be today? Is there anybody that you can remember at playing a zero tech like that that was that good at like was was Warren Warren Sapp wasn't a zero tech was he? No, he's a three technique. Okay. No, he's a th- he's a three technique. But I mean, this guy's a big kid too. I mean, he's three twenty. Just kind of looks like a big round ball. Um, I, I nobody comes off the mind. I probably have to think about that a little bit. Um, but I, I like this kid, man. If you, if you, so I watched uh, the game against Virginia Tech, which they got blown out. But dude, all he's done is just pushing the center back three yards every play. I mean, nice. just disrupting the backfield. Um, for, so, for our listeners who might not know what a zero tech is, and you did a good job explaining like odd front he plays over the center. Is a zero tech what what people consider what the media would call like a nose tackle? Is that what a zero nose tech tackle? Is? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, nose guard, nose. Nose guard, nose tackle, whatever you want to use. Nose guard, nose tackle. But you you can barely fight. I mean, those guys just don't rush the passer well, right? And no, because no, you, they get double team the whole time, right? Well, you, know because, who, you know who I think of when I think of nose tackle? Remember Casey Hampton? Big fat yes. Casey Hampton for, yep. from the Steelers? Anyways, so if you get a chance, look at Aleem. That's rare, yeah. Yeah, look at Aleem McNeil. Um Pretty pretty good prospect. 
I, I could definitely see him taken at definitely in the first four rounds, probably rounds three or four. But I think it's a guy who could play a lot of snaps at the next level, especially for teams that like like to run a lot of odd fronts, three fours, uh, three three stacks, things like that. Now that the Panthers are running that, um, Kenny, how about a prospect who fell the most by opting out? Yeah, you know, I'm going to say, for me, I don't even know if this guy fell because he still might end up being a second, third-round pick, although I, I wouldn't put money on that. You know, it, obviously it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see how his pro days and his combine numbers look. But Kenneth Gainwell, running back from Memphis, and I think his stock is hurt because everybody else's stock fell. Minus maybe Najee Harris. Like, Etienne didn't have as good a season as everybody thought he was going to have. Chuba Hubbard didn't. Like, there's just no running backs that really stood out and jumped above everybody else that we had kind of predicted preseason other than Najee Harris, who's probably going to end up being the only running back if there is a running back selected in the first round. Everybody else is going to fall. And yeah. I think that hurt – the reason I think that hurts Gainwell is because if he would have played this year – and had an outstanding season, he could have jumped up a lot of boards. Um, you know, I think probably he was sitting around five. You know, anywhere, who you ask, it depends on who you ask. He was probably sitting around four, five, six preseason in terms of, of, of running back rankings for the draft. But I think guys like Jarrett Patterson could have jumped him. I think uh, there's, I think guys, the two North Carolina running backs have jumped him. Um, you know, so he not only has he gotten jumped, but he also missed a big opportunity to do the jumping himself and really solidify himself as maybe a top three running back prospect in this draft. So I think looking back, he's going to be a guy where we see him maybe picked in the fourth or fifth round and go, wow, he definitely lost some money by opting out this year. And look, let, also let us let's be clear to our listeners. I don't want this to get taken the wrong way. We're not necessarily criticizing these guys for opting out for COVID reasons. Look, if they were worried about COVID, they're worried about COVID. That's their choice. We respect that. But as far as a black and white, you know, example of draft stock, I think this is going to hurt his draft stock. I really do because he missed an opportunity to exploit a very weak NFL or weak prospect uh, running back class. Yeah, no, I agree with that one. I actually think that's a great one. I didn't even think of that one, but as soon as you wrote that down in our our pre-show notes, I was like, wow, that's that's a guy who could have been, you know, with the way that, like you said, Shuba Hubbard played this season. Etienne didn't have as good a season as he did last season. Um, you know, certainly could have uh, probably played himself into a little bit more money by playing. And and I don't remember some of these guys said it was co. And you never know, right? So you kind of got to respect, you know, re- respect their decision and, and what they feel. So uh, main guy for me, guy you're familiar with, Kenny being a Wake Forest fan, Jamie Newman, quarterback mm-hmm. at Georgia. I mean, the season couldn't have played out any worse for him as far as opting out with the emergence of Mac Jones at Alabama, the emergence of Kyle Trask at Florida, the emergence of, of Zach, Wilson Zach Wilson at BYU. I mean, a lot of people thought that Jamie Newman could be that, that third or fourth quarterback taken, uh, and that's just simply not going to happen. Um, and, and I think Jamie Newman has a lot of work that he's going to have to do to get his stock to the point where he even gets drafted at this point. Like, I mean, I see him being a day three pick more than likely, maybe a day two pick if he has really good combine day, good pro day, things like that, which he sat out, so he should – 
he, he should. But I, I think <laughs> I, I think that he fell off the most because he really had an opportunity playing in the SEC to mm-hmm. show what he could do against really elite talent um, on a on a weekend weekend basis. And that's not a shot at the ACC, but when, you know if you could go from the ACC and the SEC and show that you were just as effective, that means you're pretty darn good. And I, I think. Unfortunately, by opting out, he just missed that opportunity. I, I'm going to do an honorable mention. I think Joe Tryon, uh, Edge Rusher, UW. I think he kind of botched it by um, by opting out. Look, don't get me wrong. I think it's a nice player, good size. He's a hybrid. He's versatile. My only thing about him being a UW fan is I just don't think he's dominant at anything, right? Like I think he could have used three or four games on tape to kind of show himself again, right? Like. Yeah, he was a starter, he was in and out, but he wasn't one of the more dominant players on that defense from a year uh from a year ago. So I you know, I, I think as you look at the edge rushers in this draft, they're starting to stack up, right? Guys like Jalen Phillips, right, who weren't even on our radar. Um, you know, uh guy I just mentioned, right, Aziz uh Ujulari from Georgia. Right? That's stacking up and by sitting out and not getting film for your 2020 season, I I, th- I think you're going to suffer. I, th- I think you're going to you're you're I think you're going to suffer when it comes to to getting that first NFL paycheck. So that's uh that's my TED talk. <laughs> no, I, and look, I I think you're right, man. I think Newman was the Newman was the obvious answer for me, and and um I thought Gainwell was kind of like a one B, but yeah, Newman's Newman's going to be an interesting case because he didn't even have to have a great season this year. He just had to show glimpses of great games in SEC games for them to go, okay, like, we just still need to coach him up, but it's there. Like, look what he did against this SEC defense. Look what he did against these – like, he didn't even have to have an outstanding season. He just had to have, like, a good season, a couple good games. Because this was a guy who, at one point going into the preseason, was third. Like, it was between him and Trey Lance for the third quarterback preseason in terms of the rankings. And now, you know – at the highest he could maybe go is six, and that's and that's the absolute highest. But I still think Kellen Mond gets picked before him now. Um, so, it, you know, you're talking the guy who's probably going to end up being the the eighth or ninth quarterback in this prospect. Or even if he's even if he goes to six, where was the sixth quarterback taken last year? I think that had to be like Easton or Fromm in like the fifth or sixth round. So, yeah, Eason, Eason went the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you're looking at a at a ceiling right now for Newman. You know, at, if the if the moon and the stars aligned, it would be a third round pick. But I think realistically, you're looking at probably a fourth, most more than likely a fifth or a sixth. I don't think he'll yeah. go undrafted. I think he's got too much talent and a little too much film to go undrafted. But and I think his combine is going to be good because, like you said, Gless, he's been preparing for it since, you know, basically he opted out. And I think at, at 6'5", 230 pounds, he'll probably run like a four. I mean, he's going to he, he's going to show off pretty good athleticism for a guy who's that big. And he's yeah. got a really good arm. So teams will take a chance on him. But, yeah, I mean, I would not be stunned if he ends up going to the fifth or sixth round, It's yeah. which is crazy because we, we were talking about him potentially being a French first or a mid to early day two pick. Um, yeah. Just, just three or four months ago. Crazy how things change, man. When you don't play the yep. game, right? I mean, yep. it's just, it just naturally happens. Can you have about the most overhyped prospect? Yeah. So, for me, it's Sean Wade, cornerback out of Ohio State. And I look, I don't even want to. I, 
I, I feel like I've been tough on the guy all year. I don't want to make it sound like I think he's a bad prospect. I just don't think he's a first-round prospect. That's all. Like, I have no problem with this guy getting picked in the second or third round. I think he's a serviceable slot corner. He plays well in the slot. And like our co-host Pastel's pointed out many times, with the way the NFL is evolving, a slot player is a big deal. So if you get a guy who can play nickel, who can play that slot and shut down the slot player, like that's a big deal on an offense. But I just don't think he's a first-round pick. I think he gets a lot of love for being cornerback number one, CV1, at what a lot of people call DBU. But look, Ohio State's defensive backfield was a mess this year, and it started with him with them moving Wade away from the slot, and they played him on the boundary. They played him across from the number one wide receiver, and he got cooked a lot, a lot, a lot this offseason, or a lot this season. There was a, a stat last night, Gless, when I was watching the data center. Opposing quarterbacks have a total QBR of 88 throwing in Wade's direction this season. Like, they were just completing balls left and right on him. And I think he's a serviceable player, but I think – the hype that I see where I see a bunch of mock drafts of him going top 15, top 20 is crazy to me. I think it's crazy that he's, he's a first-round consideration anyway. But, like, to see these a bunch of mocks, from a lot of mocks from people I respect, too, that have him in the top 20, I just don't see it. He has done nothing this season to prove to me that he's a first-round pick. And, I, and it showed yesterday. Look, he got cooked all, a ton yesterday. So, and I, I, that's not necessarily a knock because he had to go up against Devonta Smith and Mechie and, and Waddle. I mean, it's just hard for any corner to sustain any kind of success against those guys. But that was just the cherry on top of a really forgetful season for Sean Wade. And I think that, you know, to me, if he goes in the first round, that just epitomizes being overhyped. I think he should be a, a day two pick. I think he should go, you know, if he goes mid second round or later, I have no problem with him going in that position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sean Wade is, is one of the obvious ones and I really don't have much to add. I mean, you, you kind of said it all good slot corner. Um, he's certainly not like his predecessors um, that were there. Jeff Acuna, um, think of the, the other guy, uh, Denzel Ward. He's certainly not, he's, he's not that guy. So certainly a guy that I agree with you, I think is extremely overhyped, but I, I think, you know, part of the reason I'll get into this in my, in, in the next one, but, you know, corner corner isn't this isn't a great corner class, and unfortunately, that that might might get him drafted probably higher than he should for a team that would reach. Uh, mine mine is uh, mine is, has just never wavered. Uh, I mean, for me, it's Trey Lance, and and to me, it's not even close. I uh, Kenny, I did, and I put it put it on our our pre show note stocks, but there there are two videos on there. I watch Trey Lance every single play. It, it's it's Trey Lance every single play against JMU, whether he's handing the ball off, running it, or throwing the ball. And then I watch Central Arkansas every single play. And I got to tell you, the people that give this guy a first-round grade need to be checked into an insane asylum because there is in no way, shape, or form you can watch both of those videos and tell me that that guy is a quarterback – that, that can come into the NFL and lead a franchise within a couple of years. This is a guy that needs a lot of work. Is he a fantastic athlete? Absolutely. 6'4", 220, great athlete. They ran the ball with him a lot. His stats are good. I get it. Look, he played against 17, sorry, 16 games against FCS competition, one game 
Is Central Arkansas with Central? Are they? Is that Division Two? No, they're they're FCS as well. Central uh, Arkansas FCS. FCS. All right, so seventeen FCS games, and the JMU game is going to be the best film he has because that's the best team that that he's played against. But Central Arkansas looks like a bunch of Brandon Glessners running out there, five seven. You know, 185-pound guys, and, yeah, he's running up and down the field. But that's not the NFL. I think he's extremely inaccurate. I think that he's a guy that's going to have to learn how to play at the NFL level, and I think it's going to take years for it to get done. I think he needs to get drafted in the right situation for him to even have a chance at succeeding. I think teams like San Francisco, I think a team potentially like New Orleans – I think he needs to sit for a couple of years, and he really needs to learn. I, when, Kenny, when you watch those two videos, you're going to think Malik Willis. I'm telling you, think Malik Willis, watch that video, and they're kind of the same guy. Um, I, I don't get it. I, don't, I just don't understand. And he's going to take, be taken a lot earlier in this draft than he should be. Um, if it were my team, I wouldn't get within a 10-foot pole of this kid unless he fell to me in the second or third round. Because in my opinion, he's a project. Could he be something at the next level? I, I think so, right? But a lot of his film, and you look at a lot of the JMU film, a lot of it's running, right? I mean, they're running a Lamar, a Lamar Jackson offense out there in the shotgun. So to me, I think Trey Lance is wildly overrated. And I tell you what, he better go to a team as a very solid front office, has a great uh, coaching staff that has a history of developing quarterbacks, because if not, I think this guy could be a biggest bust, uh, just like Dwayne Haskins. Interesting. Are you are you just down on him because you because th- he's a project? Like, what's what's your biggest? If you had to pick one thing that that concerns you the most about Trey Lance, not not what what'll translate to the next level. So I don't want like not like well, I, my biggest concern is he's a project and he's not going to go to a team that's willing to let him develop. I get that concern. I, I actually agree sure. with that. Like, I don't have a problem with that. But, like, watching the film, what is your biggest critique to where you go, that concerns me the most? Uh, I think he's extremely inaccurate. Okay. I just don't think he's an accurate passer. And there are millions of guys out there that have great arms, right? But to me, if you can't throw an accurate ball, I don't think you're going to be very good at the next level because the windows are so tight. Does the kid have it physically? Absolutely. Kid has a rocket of an arm. He's great size, great speed. But if he were to get in there too early, you have to do something like Lamar Jackson in order to just get him comfortable. I, I just I just don't think he's a good passer. I, okay. I don't think he can take the ball, and I don't think he can throw the ball more than 20 times a game without looking very, very shaky. I have big-time concerns about it. And, and to be honest with you, Kenny, the other thing – he hasn't played anybody. I mean, he played – he has 17 games under his belt, and the best game is JMU, and JMU is a really good team. I get it. But to, for me, what made Carson – at least Carson Wentz had, had a lot of tape out on him. Trey Lance doesn't have a lot of tape. He has 17 games, and Central Arkansas, again, like I said, looks like it's a bunch of me out there. So he's <laughs> going to get taken a lot earlier than he should. Um, I hope best for the game because I, I like him physically, but – I just to, to to say that he's a franchise guy. I I personally just don't see it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think the most unfortunate thing is we weren't able to get more film on, on Trey on Trey Lance this year. Obviously, they had kind of the showcase game against Central Arkansas, which you know it is what it is. You know, I think 
I think that was always going to be tough because Central Arkansas had played like three or four games and North Dakota State had basically just was signing up to play one game to, yeah. to showcase some of their NFL prospects, uh, which was always going to be tough to to shine on. But, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. He's probably one of the most enigmatic prospects we've seen since, like you said, Lamar Jackson. There's a lot of people who were down on Lamar Jackson were questioned if he could pass the ball consistently in the NFL. So I, I don't think it's a, a stretch comparison to say Trey Lance is, could have a very similar – a similar, I guess, journey like Lamar Jackson. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting because uh, he's he's going to be a first round pick. Like quarterbacks tend to rise, and I think he's going to have enough of a com a good enough of a combine yeah. to where a team's going to be like, look, he look at his look at his numbers at North Dakota State. He dominated. You had yeah. twenty seven hundred yards passing, no interceptions. He had eleven hundred yards rushing and and stuff like that. And I get it. There's always stuff beyond stats trust me I'm a big proponent of that I'm just saying on the surface I think I think a lot of scouts yeah. and teams are going to look at that and go okay put the numbers up and he's probably going to go out and probably run like a 4-4-4-5-40 he's going to throw the ball 60-70 yards down the field some teams definitely going to take a take a shot on him it's just going to be interesting is, is if he's going to do enough to jump into the top 10 or is he going to end up going to a spot yeah. in the 20s with a playoff team similar to what Lamar did to where he has time to maybe incubate a little bit and get acclimated. Yeah. That's gonna be that's what's gonna be interesting. The, the, yeah, I, I guess the other thing that just always frustrates me is that I felt like people just put him so high, and then I just like I watched these two games today, and I just it just didn't translate for me. I was just like, I mean, if that's the yeah. if that's what people are calling the third best quarterback in the draft, then this this is not a good quarterback for drafts because or there's not a good draft of quarterbacks because I mean he he ain't that good throwing the ball. I mean, very average at best. I think he's got a lot of learning to do. Um, so, but we'll see. I, cur- I'd be curious for you yeah. after the show. Watch both of those. It's every single play, every single offensive play, um, and uh, j- just kind of get your feedback. But that was kind of some of my feedback, just because I've just been, I've been just so curious about it. Like, why? You know, what's about it? All right. Anyways, we got to move on. We are, uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're carrying on here. Can we get along. Yeah. We get along. Uh, Prospect which will shine at the combine or pro day. Who who do you think will really kind of be that workout warrior? I guess you could say. I mean, there's so many options every year on who a workout warrior could be, and I hate to put this guy in the workout warrior designation because I think that's normally a negative term. But for this guy, I think it's a positive term because I think I think if he wasn't hurt this guy would be up there for top wide receiver, and that's Rondell Moore. And people are going to be like, well, you know, how's he going to be a, a combine warrior? He's only 5'9", you know, 180 pounds, 190 pounds. Dude, listen to this guy's verified results at a high school combine. This is in high school. This isn't college. This is high school. He ran a 4.3340, had a 4.01 shuttle and leaped 42.7 inches on the vertical in high school glass. This isn't, this isn't like this is now he's three years removed from that with elite level, elite level strength and conditioning at a P five big 12 or big 10 conference, you know, school. So this is a guy who I think if you go back and look at his freshman tape, you look at him and he was absolutely unbelievable. Then unfortunately in 2019, he had a really bad hamstring injury. It was pretty much lost his whole season. And then he started out the year hurt, 
and then there was just no quarterback play at Purdue this year. So, unfortunately, the last two seasons just haven't gone to plan on the field. And so I think his stock has dropped. However, come Combine and Pro Day, this guy is going to go out there and just absolutely put every single receiver to shame, every single one. He's probably going to lead most of the receivers in every major measurable you can imagine that you can that you can clock or or measure in terms of jumping, whatever it's going to be. He's going to blow everybody out of the water. Like if he's not first, he's going to finish probably second in, in that event. Like whatever event that is, whether it's forty shuttle, long jump, you name it, he's going to be a beast at it. And and to be honest, I I, I think he's going to cause him to shoot back up the draft boards after his pro day and combine. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Uh, for me, uh, Caleb Farley, why? Because he hasn't been doing anything. He's a guy that I, I thought it was a mistake to opt out. I think he I think he needs more film, but uh, he needs more really good film. Um, I know his Miami film from a couple years ago or uh, from two seasons ago is really good. Um, but he hasn't been doing anything, so I would I would suspect a, a, a kid who is of that size and can run that fast is going to have an outstanding combine in pro day and it, it'll probably be the reason why he'll stay a first round pick um be, because he, because he'll test out so well um so i anticipate him on kind of having a big combine and pro day and really kind of turning turning some eyes um because i felt like he was a guy that could certainly have used more film mm-hmm. um, uh film out there but uh what about prospects that will surprise everyone and be a day one pick based on his college season so I had Davion Nixon defensive tackle out of Iowa. It's a very weak defensive tackle draft. Uh, I think we've kind of mentioned that defensively it's kind of a weaker draft anyway. But defensive tackles, I mean, you've got Christian Barmore, and that's pretty much about it. Like everybody else is fighting for second place, and it's not a lot of talent out there, but this guy had a really, really good season at Iowa. Um, you know, you look at his numbers. 13 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. He actually had a pick, a 71 yard pick six, which is pretty unbelievable. He's 6'3, 305. So he's not a mammoth, but he's a guy who, like you mentioned earlier when talking about the kid from um, NC State, Aleem McNeil, this guy just gets after the pass, gets after the quarterback from an interior position. He's got really good pass rushing moves, he's explosive, he comes from good pedigree. I, I think this is a kid who could end up being a guy sneaks into the bottom half of the first round, like, you know, that 20, like, 3 to 32 range. And people are going to be like, wow, where'd this guy come from? And then you'll see the film one and go, man, this, guy can, this guy's got really good technique. This guy can really get after the quarterback from the interior of the line. And that's just – I think by default he's going he's gonna to be in that position just because there's not a lot of defensive tackle talent in this year's draft. And so – I think it's Christian Barmore, and then this guy, Davion Nixon, number two, and I think it's it. I think his season could be enough to push him into the bottom half of the first round. Gotcha. I think that's a fantastic pick. I actually really like that one. Mine's Elijah Molden, uh, slot corner for UW. Really more of a hybrid. They move him, uh, you know, everywhere. He can play lockdown. He can play the slot. He can play some of the safety position. Um, I, I think he has had two unbelievably outstanding seasons at UW and obviously this season was cut uh was cut short but he did make a couple all-american lists because of how he played certainly the leader of the defense uh also to note I I know people are going to knock him on his size but he's actually the same size as Buda Baker 
right? 5'10", 195. So I don't really think the size argument is that big of an argument. I know it could be as a corner potentially, and Buda Baker is a safety, but I do think that this guy is an absolute stud. He's a gamer, and I think if you're going to take a quote-unquote slot corner or a, or a hybrid secondary guy that you kind of want to move all over the field, I think this is, I think it's this your guy. I, I think this is exactly who you want. Tackles well in the box. I think he does everything really, really well. Um, so yeah. I, I think – I think he's going to surprise everybody and, and be a day one pick. I know that, again, like I said, people are going to rack against his size. He's the same size as Buda Baker. So, um, in me, that's really not much of an excuse. Uh, but I think his play on the field really shows that I think that he could be a day one pick. Kenny, how about your favorite college football moment from this season? Yeah. You know, I rack my brain because there's a ton of them. I mean, I love college football, and there's always a ton of great moments throughout the year. But for me – it was Central Arkansas versus Austin P. And people are going to be like, what? What a random game to choose. And it's not. It was the first game of 2020, and it was right around the time where everything was still in flummox. Nobody really knew if the season was actually going to play or not. And this was the first game of the season. It was the only game that night. It was like it was like it was right there where week zero would have been in August. And these two FCS teams put on a great performance. It was a one-score game. It was a close game. I think the final score ended up being 24-17. And it was just the first time in 2020 where I kind of just sat there and was like, ah. Like, I know basketball and baseball had kind of gotten back, but it was still weird. It wasn't really that good of a product. Like, there was no fans. There was just this weirdness. But they actually had had fans at this game. There was, like, 2,000 fans at the game. And it was just the first moment since really the pandemic had begun sports-wise, that I was like, oh, like sports are actually back. And it was just a great – I just remember sitting there watching this game and realizing, like, dude, I'm watching Central Arkansas and Austin P, and I'm enjoying it and, like, really enjoying it. And, and so, to me, that was my favorite moment of the season. It was kind of the moment where I felt like everything was starting to, to kind of come back to some sense of normalcy, as close as we could get anyway during this crazy time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that game too, man. It was <laughs> I, I remember the feeling. It was almost one surreal. I one I can't believe surreal. I'm watching this game. One. Can't believe I'm watching this game. But two, I can't believe I'm watching this thing. <laughs> uh I'm gonna go uh coastal BYU. I thought that was, in my opinion, the the game of the year. Uh, again, you know, covered it on my on another podcast, but you know, BYU, BYU took a game on a Thursday, traveled across the country, and played Coastal, and they lived up to any time, any anyone, anytime, anywhere, and they lived up to it. And both teams put on in what was an incredible game, back and forth. It was raw. It, there was a it, there was there was passion. There was fight. There was grit. It was whoever was going to get the ball last. And the game ends with BYU stopping their perfect season right at the one-yard line and as the Coastal defense were able to keep them out of the end zone. So for me, that, you know, and we're going to talk about it probably in the next que- you know, in the next question, but to me that was kind of one of the few moments in the season where I felt like I was – the game felt really pure, right? It felt yeah. like a pure college football game where these are just – hardworking kids that just want to go out and play ball and, and they want to prove that they're the best. 
And every one of the few moments I felt like that this year where you didn't have the other crap, you know, the the committee and the canceled games and the behind behind the door deals. It was raw. It was emotional. And uh, it was the most fun I had all year watching that game. So that that would be kind of my favorite college moment. Yeah, I agree. I think it was the best game of the year, hands down. I agree with it. Yep. Um, Kenny, if you were commissioner for the day and they had one thing you could implement, what would it be? Well, yeah, you know, I think you and I are basically in unison on this. I think this is the one thing where it's just such an obvious answer that I don't think you and I could really separate it. And to me, it was it's a 16-team playoff. If I was commissioner yeah. for a day, that's 100% the first item. And, and if it was the only item I made – then it was worth it. Look, man, I mean, we talked about this earlier. We teased it. Last night was the lowest watched college football national championship since 2004. And look, at the end of the day, you know, people were just tired of seeing the same teams over and over and over again. And look, I don't have a problem with the dominance of the same teams. That's not my issue. I don't have a problem that Bama's won six national championships in the last, like, 15 years that's not my issue my issue is i'm just tired of seeing the same four play the same three or four playoff teams make the same playoffs every year that's where it gets boring to me is it's just the repetitiveness like at least give me a false sense of hope with a 16 team playoff that something could some crazy upset could happen at least give me that like if that's the case and we still whittle it down in the final four are still bama clemson ohio state and, and, you know, whoever make your fourth, whoever you want to be, OU, Georgia, whichever fourth, LSU, whichever fourth just happens to be good that year, fine. I'm okay with that. At least it was earned to get there. Like it wasn't some committee rewarding them because that's just what they feel like they have to do or some crappy, you know, corrupt committee doing co- committee things, trying to keep a G5 team out of the playoffs, stuff like that. Like, at least make them earn it. At least – and look, man, who wouldn't want to have five – listen to these five weekends, Gless, that we could end up having with a 16-team playoff. For one, the conference championship games become massive. Massive. Because, because massive because you, you have automatic bids. Yep. Ten automatic bids. All, all, five, all ten conferences get auto bids. So that's huge. Then you have the six – the six all, all – um, the six at-larges that now come into play because, like, what if this team loses in the conference championship? What if they get upset? You know, what if the number one team in the country gets upset in their conference championship game? Now they become an at-large team, and it kicks another at-large out. So, like, the, the drama of conference championship weekend is still there. It's still super high. And then you have a month of playoff football. You have a month. You have eight games the first round that are hosted on campuses. You have the second round, which is the next weekend, four games, 18, like what you do now, four games and eight teams rotating between the Cotton, the Peach, the Fiesta, the Sugar, the Rolls, and the Orange Bowl, like like it is current. Then you have semifinals, which is, you know, two games, four teams, like we we currently have at this moment with a four-team playoff. And you just take the other other rotation of New York Six Bowls that weren't used the weekend before in that semifinal. And then you have – the national championship like i dude that's five weekends of dynamite football i'm sorry i just think it's crazy that that's not 
the scenario we're in right now because I think that would be the best format. You have a great regular season. You have an electric conference championship weekend, and then you have four weekends of playoff football. Like, I don't know how it gets better than that. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, if I were – so I think let's get the elephant or let's get the 800-pound gorilla out of the room. I I think one of the ones that you and I would both agree on and we'll kind of put this aside as the open transfer portal, right? Being able to mm-hmm. kind of be able to disperse talent, right? Kind of yep. make this thing a little bit more competitive. Um, to go off your 16 playoff, you know what I would do? NASCAR style, baby. I want the bowls at the beginning of the season. So how you Ooh. finish your conference is how you start the next year. So can you imagine opening weekend is the Rose Bowl where you have the Big Ten champion from the previous year and the Pac-12 champion from the previous year. You have the Sugar Bowl. You're talking about the SEC champ and the Big 12 champ, right? You're talking about big-time matchups. I'm talking all bowl games, by the way. And I think based on how you finished the year before is depending on what bowl game you go to to start the year. And you can make it financially uh, applicable, right? You can make it where the better the bowl game you're in – you know, the, the more money the school gets, you can still make it that way. But it's a great way, in my opinion, to do the 16-team playoff but not lose sight of the bowl games and still make the bowl games as big as they are because here's what's going to happen. Like here's what's going to happen if you don't do something like that. You're going to get a cotton bowl where Florida and everybody sits out because they're not in the playoff yep. anymore, right? So I think yep. you can get rid of that by making – a two-week bonanza, two-week bonanza, 30 bowl games, right? It's opening two weekends. It, Kenny, it may be the big, the best two weeks of the year. I mean, because December, you would already be tied up with the playoff anyways. So you get rid of kind of these meaningless bowl games, which don't mean, which are not meaningless to a lot of the smaller schools, but why not be able to, get a lot of good games out there and get a lot of these smaller schools in front of people's eyeballs early in the season. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. And if I were the commissioner, that's what I would do. I'd move all bowl games, first two weeks of the season, start it off with the bang and then end it with the 16 team playoff. Dude, I like that. I like that. That would be cool. So, so in, in that scenario, there's no quote unquote bowl games in the 16. It's just basically they're going to host them at either like on campus or at neutral sites, essentially. Uh, I haven't really thought through that. I mean, I guess you could do you could do it where you had the the bowl games mixed in there, but then you get but then you get the confliction of oh well, that's not really a bowl game because you're playing at the beginning of the season. You're not playing in the Rose Bowl at the end. Right. I don't know if those committees would be about that. But I, you know, if I were commissioner, I think it'd be cool to try at least one once a year, and uh, and then just have the playoff play play at homes, and then the final four do it like you would any other year, right? You have them at two big stadiums, and then you have the finale in Miami or Dallas or Vegas, wherever yeah. you want. Indianapolis, yeah, no, I like that, man. I dude, I like that. I like the idea of the Bulls earlier in the season, and you know what? Yeah, I I think if you're gonna do that, then. Just make the 16 every the top seed hosts until you get to like the semifinals, yeah. and then the semi and then the semifinals is like it is now. Play at whatever top notch stadium you can get into at Las Vegas, L.A. Uh, don't go to San Francisco because that is Santa Clara is an awful location. 
Um, yeah, Miami, whatever. Yeah, I like that. By, by the way, the other thing, too, think how easy it would be. So say I'm a Pac-12, Sam UW. I go win the Rose Bowl. I beat Ohio State. But then I I lose in the Pac-12 championship game. I have a big game on my roster. I, I have a big win on my roster. I, I have a clear spot. Not a clear spot, but I have a you know I have an arguable chance to be one of the six at larges, right? Because I That's beat an Ohio I State. I right? like it, man. Yeah. It's built it. It's built in strong at a conference for every team that qualifies. Exactly. Like so, yeah. Because half the teams qualify anyways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for a bowl game, so dude, you can still I do like conference ties less... in. You can do all that. So NASCAR I'm style. Je- I, I thought it was I'm unique. Je- I, I heard Rick yeah. Neuheisel talk about it on a podcast, and I, I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, that that's is a interesting. fantastic idea. Yeah. So, I like it. I like where your head's at. That's cool. I, I like all that. All right, Kenny. Kenny, enjoy. last one. Biggest fatty. What, what, what team made you the most cash this year? So I don't know if it was because I adopted them as kind of one of my favorite teams earlier in the season, so it forced me to, to watch a lot of their games and do a lot. Uh, of research on them, but Coastal was my big fatty for the year. Uh, They went 8-3-1 and against the spread. You know, I think pretty much every game that I personally bet on them this year, I made a good amount of money. Them and Bama were my two horses in terms of me putting up a lot of big bets and them covering and and winning for me. A lot of my winnings this year came from Alabama and Coastal Carolina. Um, But, yeah, that was, for me, Coastal was – Probably the biggest one. Like, I don't think I bet on them every week, but I think I was like six and zero or seven and one or something like that when I did bet on them. Interesting. Mine is going to be San Jose State. My man, they, they, I went five and zero betting on them this year. <laughs> they fucking covered all my lines, whatever it was, whether it was an over, if it was a, a spread bet or whatever. But San Jose State was was my team that I rode to to win me some cash. Coastal did as well. Coastal did kind of screw me on a parlay where I had them beating Troy and covering the thirteen, and they ended up covering the thirteen. But uh, Coastal made me some cash this season too. You know, well, you know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure. Um... San Jose State was one of like, I think they were like second or third in the country against the spread this year. Yeah, they were they they were uh, six one and one against the spread this year, eighty five percent. So that makes sense that you made a, some good money off of San Jose State this year because they basically only really lost one game against the spread. The other game was a push. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, man. Yep. Oof, you know, I'd have liked to have been on that Indiana train. They went seven and one against the spread this year. Yeah, no kidding. All right, uh, Kenny, any final thoughts on the season? I know we've we've talked about a lot tonight, but any any final thoughts on twenty twenty? Uh, I mean, definitely a season we're not going to forget. You know, or maybe we do forget because we want to forget it. Um, it's just a unique season. I mean, I'm glad there was a season. Obviously, um, as much as I, I love college football, and I'm glad there was a season. I'm glad that. You know, sports fans were able to kind of look forward to something in 2020, and I think college football was a big part of that. I am ready to flip the page to 2021. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm over 2020. I'm I'm glad it happened, but I'm also glad it's finally wound down. Uh, I'm ready for college football to, to get back to normal in 2021. I'm ready to start talking about spring football and spring practices, and, you know, then we get the summer break, and then hopefully by August when everybody returns back, you know, the country and everything is as close to normal as it can be or as it has been since, 
you know, February of 2020. So I'm just, you know, I'm thankful for the season. I'm thankful for the students and the coaches who sacrificed a lot to, to give us one, but uh, I'm ready for the draft and I'm ready for uh, 2021 fo- uh, college football next fall. Yeah. I was about to say, I kind of echo on that. I'm, I'm ready for, ready for the NFL draft. I'm ready for baseball to start. Uh, ready for NCAA tournament, however they're going to do that. Uh, it was a great season, though, right? I mean, it was something that very controversial um, and, like we said earlier, kind of an exhausting season. So as much as great as it was, um, kind of kind of ready to, to turn the page on the season and get to 2021 already, get a little bit of normalcy in there for sure. So, um, you know, I, obviously this is our last college uh, college football recap show, but that doesn't mean – you're not going to get great prospect content coming out, especially with the NFL draft coming up. We got the combine, we got pro days, we've got uh, the actual uh, the the uh, second signing day coming up. A lot of great prospect content. I think in the next week or two, you will uh, see a couple episodes on us or with us, kind of talking about our initial mock draft. Kenny Keller's 1.0 mock draft. Brandon Gluster's 1.0 mock draft. Uh, still a long way to go, uh, especially what you hear, what happens to combines and pro days, and it'll be very interesting. But it's mock draft season, Kenny. Mock draft season, always debatable. So should be uh, should be a fun couple shows uh, that we have coming up. So be on the lookout in that. Make sure you subscribe to Prospects 101 on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, whatever it is, we're on there. Uh, please make sure you subscribe. Make sure you get every episode downloaded to your phone. For Kenny Keller, I am Gless, and cheers to a great college football season. We'll be back next week with our first mock draft.